I had asked if people had questions that they wanted to uh, have answered on Sunday, and um, I got a number of questions, and I thought they were certainly worth uh, responding to this morning in the service, and if we have some time at the end, uh, I'll even ask you to uh, give me your questions from the floor. You're welcome to do that. The subject that we're looking at is how do I know if I'm filled with the Holy Spirit? And last week uh, we were addressing the, the primary issue of the fact that when the Holy Spirit comes in to fill our lives with His presence, He brings His character, He brings His fruit. And that fruit becomes manifest in our lives. The evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit is not necessarily having spiritual gifts. Every single believer is given a gift when they are baptized into the body of Christ. But not every single believer is filled with the Holy Spirit. Hence the many admonitions throughout the the New Testament, and especially Paul's letters and so forth, and uh, others, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Because believers not only need gifting, and they not only need new birth, and they not only need to be a part of the family of God, but they need the fullness of God's Holy Spirit in order to Uh, successfully demonstrate the life of Christ and in order to have His power in the process of witnessing and sharing Christ. Uh, Jesus said this is one of the primary works of the Holy Spirit to convict the world of sin and righteousness and judgment and in doing so to work through you as you share your testimony and your faith in Christ, to have a supernatural power accompanying your witness that will bring others to faith in Jesus Christ as the Holy Spirit deals with their heart. So the evidence of being filled with the Holy Spirit is the fact that His character, His fruit is manifest in your life. So... um, One of the questions, which I thought was a good question, outward signs versus progressive spiritual maturity, how does being filled with the Holy Spirit relate to our progressive sanctification? Now, you know what progressive sanctification is, right? Uh, Let me give you a quick uh, theological lesson here. Uh, There is initial sanctification, when you're born again and set apart unto God, just as the temple in the Old Testament was set apart unto God, so you are immediately, completely set apart unto God. And that is initial sanctification, which is focused more on the set-apart portion of the word, not so much the holiness portion of the word. And then there is progressive sanctification, which is that process 
by which daily you are made to look more and more like Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit who's indwelling you. He begins immediately to develop in you the life and character qualities of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we progress along, whether that's a few hours, a few days, uh, months, or even years, uh, in the New Testament, it was often right on the heels of new birth, but we've kind of gotten away from that. And so we have to have teaching about the, the filling of the Holy Spirit. There is a crisis moment of, of sanctification that makes us aware that we need to die to self and devote ourselves completely to Him without reservation. Um, that's not a lordship issue so much as it's a matter of giving ourselves without reservation to the control and guidance of the Holy Spirit. That's a part of progressive sanctification, but it manifests as a crisis moment. And then there is ultimate sanctification when we stand before Jesus Christ absolutely complete in His presence, resurrected body, glorified in Jesus Christ, and we are wholly His for all eternity in all that that means. So, Sanctification has several components. And this question is, how does being filled with the Holy Spirit relate to the progressive sanctification? And um, the first answer I have to that is, when you are completely filled with the Holy Spirit and surrendered to Him, there is a dramatic acceleration of your spiritual development. Believers can kind of amble along, struggling with sin and struggling with defeat and uh, kind of getting the upper hand and getting knocked back again and, and uh, fighting with old habits and uh, those kinds of things. And then there comes this moment of awareness, I need the Holy Spirit to do this for me. I'm not able to do this on my own. I need Him to do it for me. And as we surrender and submit to that, there's a great acceleration of looking like Christ because He begins to manifest Himself in such a powerful way. But there's still growth. Um, you don't get perfected in the absolute sense in this life, there's always room for growth. And the Holy Spirit begins to build in us His character qualities that emerge more and more with fullness and maturity. And I use the illustration here of an apple tree. There's a time in the season when the tree is in bloom. And you see flowers. But where you see a flower... There's the potential of an apple. And then as time goes along, uh, the, the flowers um, begin to, I'm not going to go through all the biological process, but they start to form little green apples. And uh, you, you see these little knots forming on the tree. 
And then eventually they grow and they get bigger and finally they uh, turn red if they're that kind of apple. Uh, they turn red and they become uh, this juicy, uh, delicious fruit that we enjoy. And the same is true with the fruit of the Spirit. His presence being in us brings the fruit. But sometimes it is in green apple form. <laughs> and it has to go a long ways before it begins to mature uh, with, uh, can I uh, push the analogy a little bit, the, the living water of the Spirit and the sunshine of God's Son that begins to form and produce um, the fruit. And so... The answer to the question is, all the fruit of the Holy Spirit will be present in a Spirit-filled believer and will be growing towards spiritual maturity. For example, self-control will be present. You will notice a new capacity to be obedient to God and for your life to be under His control, which in essence, is self-control because you're yielding to the Holy Spirit. But as time goes along, that uh, submission to God and the ability to choose His will becomes stronger and stronger and stronger so that you are more consistent in your self-control and of greater strength in your self-control. But it's there as soon as he is present in his uh, full form. Now, another question that was asked is, can a spirit-filled believer become depressed? Wow, <laughs> I could spend uh, several sermons on this. I won't, uh, but I could. And uh, I've hit some highlights here. But if the fruit of the Spirit is, among other things, love, joy, peace, self-control, it's difficult to see how depression can coexist. Depression, however, has many causes, and a number of powerful Christians have struggled with this problem. You can go back uh, in church history, and you can look at people that have had a mighty influence for the kingdom. I, I think of David Brainerd, uh, who was missionary uh, to Native Americans, as we politically correctly say now. Um, but he was a missionary to Native Americans, and he suffered often from depression. Uh, it was a struggle for him. Uh, John Wesley struggled often with depression. Uh, there have been great people in church history who have battled depression to one extent or another. And do you remember in Acts chapter 4 how um, they had been filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, but some persecution had arisen and adversity and leadership had become incarcerated, and the church was uh, in turmoil. And the scripture says they had gathered to pray, 
And the room where they were praying was shaken, and they were all filled again with the Holy Spirit. I mentioned last week, I think, at least it's in your notes, that we need sometimes to have a fresh filling, a fresh outpouring, because we leak. You know how uh, Jesus said to Peter when, when Peter at the Last Supper did not want him to wash his feet. And uh, Jesus said, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have any part with me. And he said, well, not my feet, then wash my whole body, wash everything. Uh, Peter was, uh, he was a man of extremes, if anything. And uh, Jesus said to him, Peter, you don't need to be, to have a bath. You've been cleansed, but your feet are dirty. And they need to be washed. And that happens to us, doesn't it? I mean, we don't go around on dusty roads barefoot for the most part. But walking in the world kicks up the dust of the world and it gets around our feet and ankles. And periodically we just need to come back to Jesus and have him wash our feet. We're clean. We're, we belong to him. We're all of his, but our feet are dusty. And if you don't make those periodic visits back uh, to the Last Supper and let him wash your feet, you're going to continue to accumulate the soil. And that's one of the reasons why Jesus built the Last Supper into the life and the body of the church. So that we could have a moment of accounting. We could come back and say, Lord, I need my feet washed. I, I realize this has happened and this has happened and, and I've been leaking. And he washes our feet. Or to put it another way, he fills us afresh. Uh, we need that. We need to be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit. And so, um, to be depressed, it's possible to be depressed as a believer. It's possible to start out being depressed as a Spirit-filled believer. But if you let it go, and you begin to sink into the mire of despair it's very difficult to see how you can simultaneously say, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I have His joy. I have His peace. I have His love. I have His self-control. I'm filled with the Spirit. Well, actually, you're depressed. And you need to come back and let Him restore you and bring healing. And I have mentioned in your notes that there are many causes of depression that uh, people experience. One of the most mysterious ones to understand is endogenous depression. Some people don't believe that emotional problems can have an organic basis, that is a chemical uh, basis in the brain. But friends... In the fall, 
when Adam and Eve sinned and they introduced the fallen nature into humanity, it exposed us to all forms of sickness. And it, it broke us in some significant ways. And some people have a fracture <laughs> of genes or chemistry or whatever. Uh, some people, we talked about diabetes this morning, some people get diabetes well, frankly, because they are eating too much and they're overwhelming uh, the islet cells in their pancreas and they're in its insulin production. That's called type 2. But some people have type 1 diabetes and without doing anything at all to cause it, they become diabetic because of a family history or genetic nature. It's just there. Some people develop high blood pressure and they're skinny as a rail and they may be runners and, and they may uh, frequently exercise and do all the right things and they have hypertension. And they don't even know it most of the time until the doctor checks it. And where does it come from? Well, something's broken in their very genetic makeup. And some people get depressed because they're broken, because something in their brain is not processing serotonin and other neurotransmitters properly. And as a consequence of that, they are starving for certain things that are needed to make them whole. And so for no reason, there's been no life event that has caused it. They're just depressed. And they need a touch from God. They need healing. They need the fullness of the Holy Spirit to come flooding and raining down upon them. And I believe that God can heal that. But sometimes it's a mystery. Other people suffer from exogenous depression. That means that the stimulus for the depression comes from outside of themselves. It could be the death of a loved one. It could be the loss of a job or significant financial security. Uh, it could be the loss of one's health. It could be divorce. It could be any number of things that affect a person coming from the outside and crashing in upon them like uh, a violent storm upon the rock with the waves crashing upon the rocks. And they're buffeted, and for a while they're in despair. They wonder how they're going to survive this thing. And the Apostle Paul experienced that. I, I don't have time this morning to read all of that, but... The Apostle Paul experienced that and he expressed it to the Corinthians that he says, I, I'm pulled in every direction. I, I'm tossed to and fro. I'm, I'm torn. Uh, the weight and burden of all the churches is upon me and, and I'm struggling. And Paul was saying sometimes um, the pressures of 
my apostleship weigh heavily upon me and, and they pull me down, as it were. And yet Paul found his triumph in Jesus Christ. And ultimately, as we gain our bearings by the grace of God, we can come back and find our triumph in Jesus Christ. Some people experience spiritual attack, direct demonic attack. I think that's what happened with Paul's thorn in the flesh. The Greek literally says uh, a messenger or an angel from Satan was buffeting me. Uh, call that a, an evil angel or a demon as you please. But Paul was battling a demonic force, a demonic power. Um, there was a time in Robert Jaffrey's life, one of the great uh, names in, in Christian Missionary Alliance missions, when he went to a village and the village was opposed to him and the chief was hostile. And um, while he was uh, staying in a rather thin-walled kind of bamboo-type hotel, uh, not a hotel, but motel, one floor, uh, one, one evening as they were seeking to influence that town, um, I remember one of my professors at Tekoa was there with him. And it's written in the story uh, of his life, the biography of his life, that this guy heard in Jaffrey's room furniture being tossed about and Jaffrey being slammed against the wall and and all kinds of, uh, sounded like he was fighting with an intruder. And he went next door to see what was going on. And Jaffrey was sitting beside the bed on the floor in a puddle of perspiration. And he said, we have fought the enemy tonight and we have won. And you would say, what in the world is that all about? But the next day, the chief had a complete reversal. And the village was open to the preaching of the gospel. And there was a great revival because the power of Satan had been broken, but not without a price. It had cost Jaffrey tremendously. And so sometimes there's direct demonic attacks. Sometimes there's just weariness and well-doing. If what Jaffrey experienced was a, was a collision of supernatural forces, weariness and well-doing is the gradual exhaustion that comes from constantly carrying the weight of ministry upon your own shoulders. We're designed to lean on Jesus and let Him carry the heavy load. Come to me, he said, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and learn of me. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and there you will find rest for your souls. But some of us don't know how to yield that up right away, and we continue to carry it and carry it and carry it until we become exhausted and with that exhaustion comes depression. Sometimes just the trials of leadership. Um, as uh, has been written by many, it's lonely at the top. Well, uh, once again, Jesus is supposed to be the top. 
and we're supposed to roll everything over on him. But if we tend to internalize that and keep it for ourselves, the trials of leadership can wear us down and bring depression. The differences between episodes of depression and clinical depression are significant. Every one of you has a blue day. Don't you? Any liars here that would say you never have one? (laughs) You all have bad days. Uh, Every one of us has a time when we wake up and the world is shades of gray and not in color. And um, sometimes that lasts a day, sometimes a week, sometimes a month. Uh, It depends on what's going on and what's happening in our lives. But periodic depression may include sadness, weariness, loss of appetite, or gain of appetite. You know, there's two different kinds of people, um, and we're all wired differently. There are those people that don't want to eat when they're struggling, and then there's people that look for comfort food. You know what I'm talking about? And they want to eat everything in sight, uh, looking for what's going to bring comfort. Well, um, it it only is comfortable for a little while. Then it becomes uncomfortable. But that's another story. Loss of appetite, loss of energy, loss of sleep, loss of motivation. And may last for a few weeks to a month or more. Quite honestly, if you have that kind of depression and it, and it remits and you kind of get back on top of things uh, because you have sought the Lord, because you have put your hope and your trust in Him, it's really not something to get overly worried about. You can have that fresh filling, that fresh outpouring. The Holy Spirit can manifest Himself and 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 give you a, a, a whole new breath of His air and get you going again, um, just drawing to Him. But clinical depression, which means a, a depression that can be observed in uh, an outward uh, environment, they call it clinical because psychologists and physicians uh, observe this in the examining room or the treatment room, and they they uh, talk through a series of questions, and they can identify what's going on in a more serious nature, and it includes cognitive disorders. What do I mean by that? Your brain doesn't work as well. You forget stuff. Where did I put my briefcase? Where did I leave my keys? Where's my purse? Where... Uh, you know, I can't find anything. Um, uh, I can't add. I can't subtract. I can't multiply. Simple math eludes me. Let's see. Three times five. I know I know there's an answer. Is it 20? Uh, you know, and, and the brain is just not working well like that. Um, I went through a period of incredibly dark despair and clinical depression. Uh, in Franklin, Tennessee, when the church kind of came unraveled. And people still laugh at me when I say this, that I'm exaggerating, but I promise you it is the absolute truth. 
Um, I went to uh, pay for breakfast one morning, and you could actually use checks in those days. And uh, I got my checkbook out, and I wrote everything down correctly, the amount, the place, and everything. I was at Shoney's. I wrote Shoney's in, wrote the amount. It came to the signature line. And I couldn't remember what went on that line. And I got my wallet out. <laughs> the lady at the register said, we know you. You don't have to show us your driver's license. And I'm thinking, oh, lady, you have no idea. I need to know who I am. I had to look at my driver's license to, to, to remember my name. I'm deadly serious. It wasn't that I didn't know I was Paul Martin. It's that I could not get that those two words to form where I could put them on paper. My brain didn't work. just didn't work. That's cognitive disorder. Sleep disorders include hypersomnia and insomnia and hyposomnia. Uh, hypo means you don't get enough. Sleep two hours and you're done. Hypersomnia means you've slept 22 hours and you still want to sleep. Insomnia means you went to bed but you woke up at 2 o'clock and you couldn't go back to sleep. Or... You went to bed, but you couldn't go to sleep. And it's amazing how predictable that can be. If, if you find that you go to bed at 10 o'clock and you wake up at 3 in the morning, you do that consistently for days and days and days. You wake up at the same time every middle of the night. Increased susceptibility to illness because in this condition, your immune function is not uh, working and adrenal exhaustion sets in and your body is just simply being depleted. You don't have any immune uh, ability to throw off disease. So you get sick. Irritability is common. Smoldering anger with sudden outburst. Loss of interest in life, hobbies, work, sex, pleasurable activities, suicidal thoughts, and even serious plans. Some clinical depression may move toward catatonic immobility. That person may sit down in a chair and not move for days unless you move them and then they don't give you any help. You just have to pick them up and put them in bed or whatever. They, they're just stuck. They, have no, they won't do a thing for themselves because they have zero energy. Psychotic breaks with realities. With reality, loss of appetite or excessive appetite. Clinical depression has a hallmark of a trilogy of feelings of being hopeless, helpless, and worthless. Those feelings prevail. Friends, it is difficult to envision someone filled with the Spirit who is in that depth of despair. And I don't say that to be critical of that individual, but to say there is hope in Jesus and the cycle needs to be broken
and a fresh outpouring of the Holy Spirit needs to come because without Him, there's not a lot of chance of breaking it on your own. It's just very, very dark. Is the fruit of the Holy Spirit, last question, and I'm sorry we're not going to have time for extra, but you know what, you can still send in an email. Or maybe next week, who knows. But is the fruit of the Holy Spirit an all or nothing thing as the outward manifestation? Well, I want you to imagine this water bottle I've got here, and it's got lines on it. And uh, here's love and joy and peace and patience and gentleness and kindness and uh, self-control. Here, here are the various elements. The Holy Spirit is a whole person. He doesn't come in pieces. You don't get a, a piece of the Spirit and you've got a full bottle of joy. He's all of these things. So, if you are full of the Holy Spirit, you have all of His character filling you. And my water bottle has room in it. If you can imagine, that room is myself. I've reserved this much for me. So I'm not full of the Holy Spirit. I'm only three-fourths full, and I'm still hanging on to a fourth. So I might be missing some fruit. But if He is filling me all the way to the top, so there's none of me left, and He, is, he has brought His character into my life, then all of Him resides in all of me. And I have yielded to His presence. We can only be filled with the Spirit of God if, in fact, all of Him is there. Now, somebody's going to say, give me chapter and verse for that. And let me introduce you to a new concept as we close. I have emphasized chapter, verse, chapter, verse, chapter, verse. Find it in the Bible. Don't make it up. Find it in the Bible. But sometimes you have to take what the Bible says and put bits and pieces together, correctly interpreted, in order to formulate a theology of what is being said. And the process of developing biblical doctrine, a theology, is taking all the Bible has to say about a topic and bringing it together in a logical fashion so that it all supports one another. I cannot give you a chapter and verse that says... To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to have every single fruit present in your life. But if that's His nature, and He's filling you entirely, and there's none of you left because you've surrendered all to Him, then it only stands to reason 
that all of his fruit is present. And if you're holding back some of it for yourself, then something could be missing because you have not submitted completely to the Spirit of God. I hope that that helps. Um, I, I will say again, as I have said uh, in the past, if, um, if you are struggling with clinical depression and I have upset you, would you please come and talk to me? I cannot cover all the bases in half of a sermon. There's so much to be involved. And particularly if you're experiencing suicidal ideation or thoughts. Um, friends, I'm not going to judge you. I've been there. I know what that feels like. Um, and I know there is a way out. Besides suicide, there's another way out. And I encourage you to come and talk to me. Don't let clinical depression fester and go on for years because it can. And God wants to heal you of that. So uh, I invite you, uh, if he's speaking, if, uh, if I've upset you and you're in turmoil even more, uh, come talk to me, and don't just continue to suffer with helpless, hopeless, and worthless. You're very valuable, much loved by God, made in His image. He cherishes you, and so do we.